Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. I'm Dan. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time, we began Chapter 20. Baron and Luthien returned to Doriath. Luthien healed the winter of Thingol. Melian was unable to bear to look upon Luthien, knowing that they were to be separated by death. Baron and Luthien traveled into Osirian and bore a son, Dior Ardenel, the heir to Thingol. Maedhros attempted to rally the Eldor against Morgoth, but mistrust kept them divided. The sons of Feanor demanded Thingol return the Silmaril, but he refused. Maedhros gathered willing soldiers from Nargothrond and from among men and dwarves. On the day of their assault, Maedhros' plans were frustrated by the betrayal of a man called Uldor. Fingon began to despair until Turgon and his army arrived from Gondolin. Morgoth used his cunning and deceit to keep the various armies of the Eldar separated. His captain approached Fingon and brought a prisoner from Angband. He decapitated the prisoner and threatened to kill more prisoners in an attempt to draw Fingon's forces to Angband. Today, we continue chapter 20, beginning on page 191 of the second edition. By ill chance, at that place in the outworks stood Gwyndor of Nargothrond, the brother of Gelmir. Now his wrath was kindled to madness, and he leapt forth on horseback and many riders with him. And they pursued the heralds and slew them, and drove on deep into the main host. And seeing this, all the host of the Noldor was set on fire, and Fingon put on his white helm and sounded his trumpets, and all the host of Hithlam leapt forth from the hills in sudden onslaught. The light of the drawing of the swords of the Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds. And so fell and swift was their onset, that almost the designs of Morgoth went astray. Before the army that he sent westward could be strengthened, it was swept away, and the banners of Fingon passed over Anfagleth and were raised before the walls of Angband. Ever in the forefront of that battle went Gwyndor and the elves of Nargothrond, and even now they could not be restrained, and they burst through the gate and slew the guards upon the very stairs of Angband, and Morgoth trembled upon his deep throne, hearing them beat upon his doors. But they were trapped there, and all were slain, save Gwyndor only, whom they took alive. For Fingon could not come to their aid. By many secret doors in Thangorodrim, Morgoth had let issue forth his main host that he held in waiting, and Fingon was beaten back with great loss from the walls. Then, in the plain of Anfagleth, on the fourth day of the war, there began Nirnaeth Arnoediad, the unnumbered tears for no song or tale can contain all its grief. The host of Fingon retreated over the sands, and Haldir, lord of the Haladin, was slain in the rear guard. With him fell most of the men of Brethil, and came never back to their woods. But on the fifth day, as night fell, and they were still far from Arid Wetherin, the orcs surrounded the host of Hithlam, and they fought until day, pressed ever closer. 
In the morning came hope, when the horns of Turgon were heard as he marched up with the main host of Gondolin. For they had been stationed southward, guarding the pass of Sirion, and Turgon restrained most of his people from the rash onslaught. Now he hastened to the aid of his brother, and the Gondolin dream were strong and clad in mail, and their ranks shone like a river of steel in the sun. Now the phalanx of the guard of the king broke through the ranks of the orcs, and Turgon hewed his way to the side of his brother. And it is told that the meeting of Turgon with Hurin, who stood beside Fingon, was glad in the midst of battle. Then hope was renewed in the hearts of the elves, and in that very time, at the third hour of morning, the trumpets of Maedros were heard, at last coming up from the east. And the banners of the sons of Feanor assailed the enemy in the rear. Some have said that even then, the Eldar might have won the day, had all their hosts proved faithful. For the orcs wavered, and their onslaught was stayed, and already some were turning in, turning to flight. But even as the vanguard of Maedros came upon the orcs, Morgoth loosed his last strength, and Angband was emptied. There came wolves and wolf riders, and there came balrogs and dragons, and Glaudung, father of dragons. The strength and terror of the great worm were now great indeed, and elves and men withered before him, and he came between the hosts of Maedros and Fingon and swept them apart. Yet neither by wolf nor by Balrog, nor by dragon, would Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. In this hour, the plots of Ulfong were revealed. Many of the Easterlings turned and fled, their hearts being filled with lies and fear. But the sons of Ulfong went over suddenly to Morgoth and drove in upon the rear of the sons of Feanor, and in the confusion that they wrought, they came near to the standard of Maedros. They reaped not the reward that Morgoth promised them, for Maglor slew Oldor, the accursed, the leader in treason, and the sons of Bor slew Ulfast and Ulworth, ere they themselves were slain. But new strength of evil men came up that Oldor had summoned and kept hidden in the eastern hills. And the host of Maedros was assailed now on three sides, and it broke and was scattered, and fled this way and that. Yet, yet fate saved the sons of Feanor, and though all were wounded, none were slain. For they drew together, and gathering a remnant of the Noldor and the Naugrim, about them they hewed away out of the battle, and escaped far away towards Mount Dolmed in the east. <clears throat> Last of all, the eastern force to stand firm were the dwarves of Belagost, and thus they won renown. For the Naugrim withstood fire more heartily than either elves or men, and it was their custom, moreover, to wear great masks in battle, hideous to look upon, and those stood them in the good in good stead against the dragons, and but for them. Glaudrung and his brood would have withered all that was left of the Noldor. 
But the Nalgrim made a circle about him when he assailed them, and even his mighty armor was not foolproof against the blows of their great axes. And when in his rage Glaurung turned and struck down Azagal, lord of Belagost, and crawled over him, with his last stroke, Azagal drove a knife into his belly and so wounded him that he fled the field, and the beasts of Angban in dismay followed after him. Then the dwarves raised up the body of Azakal and bore it away, and with slow steps they walked behind, singing a dirge in deep voices, as it were a funeral pomp in their country, and gave no heed more to their foes, and none dared to stay them. But now in the western battle, Fingon and Turgon were assailed by a tide of foes thrice greater than all the force that was left to them. Gothmog, lord of Balrogs, high captain of Angband, was come, and he drove a dark wedge between the elven hosts, surrounded, the, surrounded King Fingon, and thrusting Turgon and Hurin aside towards the fen of Sarek. Then he turned upon Fingon. That was a grim meeting. At last, Fingon stood alone with his guard dead about him, and he fought with Gothmog, until another Balrog came behind and cast a thong of fire about him. Then Gothmog hewed him with his black axe, and a white flame sprang upon from the helm of Fingon as it was cloven. Thus fell the high king of the Noldor, and they beat him into the dust with their maces, and his banner blue and silver, they trod into the mire of his blood. The field was lost, but still Hurin and Hur and the remnant of the house of Hador stood firm with Turgon of Gondolin, and the hosts of Morgoth could not yet win the pass of Syrian. Then Hurin spoke to Turgon, saying, Go now, Lord, while time is, for in you lives the last hope of the Eldar, and while Gondolin stands, Morgoth shall still know fear in his heart. But Turgon answered, Not long now can Gondolin be hidden, and being discovered, it must fall. Then Huor spoke and said, Yet if it stands but a little while, then out of your house shall come the hope of the elves and men. This I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death, though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again, from you and from me, a new star shall arise. Farewell. And Maeglin, Turgon's sister son, who stood by, heard these words and did not forget them, but he said nothing. Then Turgon took the counsel of Hurin and Hur, and summoning all that remained of the host of Gondolin, and such of Fingon's people as could be gathered, he retreated towards the pass of Sirion, and his captains, Ecthelion and Glorfindel, guarded the flanks to right and left, so that none of the enemy should pass them by. But the men of Dorlomen held the rear guard, as Hurin and Hur desired for they did not wish in their hearts to leave the Northlands. 
And if they could not win back to their homes, there they would stand to the end. Thus was the treachery of Oldor redressed, and of all the deeds of war that the fathers of men wrought in behalf of the Eldar, the last stand of the men of Dorlomen is most renowned. So it was that Turgon fought his way southward until coming behind the guard of Hurin and Hur, he passed down Sirion and escaped. And he vanished into the mountains and was hidden from the eyes of Morgoth. But the brothers drew the remnant of the men of the house of Hador about them and foot by foot they withdrew until they came behind the fen of Serek and had the stream of Reville before them. There they stood and gave way no more. Then all the hosts of Angban swarmed against them, and they bridged the stream with their dead, and encircled the remnant of Hithlim as a gathering tide about a rock. There, as the sun westered on the sixth day, and the shadow of Eredwethren grew dark, Huor fell pierced with a venomed arrow in his eye, and all the valiant men of Hador were slain about him in a heap, and the orcs hewed their heads and piled them as a mound of gold in the sunset. Last of all, Hurin stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and wielded an axe two-handed. And it is sung that the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered. And each time he slew, Hurin cried, Aure, Entuluva, day shall come again. Seventy times he uttered that cry, but they took him at last alive by the command of Morgoth, for the orcs grappled him with their hands, which clung to him still, though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed, until at last he fell buried beneath them. Then Gothmog bound him and dragged him to Angband with mockery. Thus ended Nirnaeth Arnoediad, as the sun went down beyond the sea. Night fell in Hithlam, and there came a great storm of wind out of the west. In summary, the enraged Eldar furiously pursue Morgoth's forces to the very gates of Angband. Gwyndor and the elves of Nargathron burst into Angband, but become trapped there and only Gwyndor escapes. Fingon is beaten back to the plain of Anfaglith, but Turgon and Maedros eventually arrive and hope is rekindled. Morgoth unleashes his full strength on them. Then Ulfong carries out his treacherous plan and attacks Maedros from the rear. His forces are scattered and the sons of Feanor are forced to retreat. Azagal, Lord of Belagost, and the Dwarves hold back Glaurong the dragon heroically. Azagal is defeated, but he badly wounds the dragon and the beasts of Angban retreat. Gothmog, Lord of Balrogs, and a great army fight against Fingon and Turgon in the west. Fingon faces Gothmog alone and is slain. Huor, Hurin, and the house of Hador fight off the onslaught of Morgoth to give time for Turgon to retreat back to Gondolin. Hurin alone remains, and he is taken alive to Angband. 
yeah, this is uh, it's getting ugly now in the story. This is such a change of pace from Baron and Luthien. That one was like a, a an adventure of the two of them or the three of them with our guy Juan. But um, it was kind of like that small adventure. And this is just like the ugliness of war and these heroes being slain and all of that. Is this the first time we hear about Olfang and Olf son and Olf daddy? <laughs> Oldor and Olfang? Is this the first time? Yeah, I think it's just this chapter. The last reading yeah. they were mentioned as like people who were the faithless um, um, men from the east. Yeah, I mean we've, yeah, but, we've heard reference to them before, right? Right. Yeah, I wonder what their death count is so far in this book. It's it's a lot of death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right here there was just striking amounts of really savage death oh so in 157 it way back here it says that morgoth was well content for this was as he had designs uh the friendship between the newcome men so the easterlings mm. and uh the noldor so he had he had plotted this from like way back then I mean, this is from chapters ago that uh, he plotted the friendship with Olfang, who proved to be unfaithful. Mm -hmm. And because right earlier in 192, which is was in this reading, it says, yeah. Yet neither by wolf nor by Balrog nor by dragon would Morgoth have achieved his end, but for the treachery of men. So it was like just faithless men. Right. That was the... Um, that's what decided deal. this. <laughs> this is kind of funny for kind of a somber reading, but this is all kind of like a, a history that's being recounted, right? And Tolkien seems to make these little notes like nobody knows exactly what happened, but this is what has been passed down. That, those like kinds Tolkien of things, has asked right? all his friends, like, do you yeah. guys know what happened? <laughs> And this and is one of my favorite ones. Anardia, Dad? Yeah. Like, so, no, what are you talking about? No one knows. Yeah. <laughs> no one survived. How can we know? Everyone, yeah. <laughs> they were all lost. But I love this part here. This is uh, towards the bottom of 192. It says that hope was rekindled when Turgon shows up, right? Like, Fingon's by himself, and he's kind of despairing, and Turgon shows up, and then they hear the trumpets of Maedros, and they're like, okay, we're we're all here. We're gonna fight. We have renewed hope. And it says here, some have said that even then the elder might have won the day had all their hosts proved faithful. Mm -hmm. And what that reminds me of is like, as a sports fan or playing board games or something, when you lose, but you can like see why you lost, and you're like, oh, just that one thing was different. You watch the tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If that one thing, if that role was different, or if that. What, you know, this whole thing would have played out differently. If the Astros hadn't cheated in the 2017 World Series, the Dodgers <laughs> would have won. Um, it's like that that hindsight, like, lamenting. Yeah. And you, it makes you think even the elves would do that kind of thing as they look back on these battles. Like, they're recounting these these horrendous battles, these well, terrible can defeats. Can you imagine how they would pass the story down? Because they 
they fought Morgoth all the way to his gates. And like Morgoth was shaking in his boots. Yeah. Uh, the orcs were like being slaughtered on the doorstep. And if it wasn't for this guy named Olfang, like we would have had the victory. Um, because that that was like the critical moment of right. treachery. Because he he um he just leaves, right? But was it Oldor who had the uh, assault from behind? Some of the men. No, Oldor also is part of it. I think Olfang just left. Wait. I think Olfang was part of it. Oh, many of the Easterlings turned and fled. The hearts being filled with lies and fear. But the sons of Olfang went over suddenly to Morgoth and drove in upon the rear of the sons of Feanor. Yeah, they just turned on Feanor. On, on Maedros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So they came. Yeah. So they like attacked from the rear. Now, what is it about the the names Olfor and Olfang and Oldor that you know they're bad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's that like Tolkien just gets language. I don't know if we just are projecting that because we know they're bad, but just the name. I mean, they, 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 this sort <clears throat> of, I mean, fangs are sharp and in monsters and, 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 Nothing wrong with that. Fasting sucks, and uh, older sounds like odor. No, it sounds like a door, like an old door. Oda. We love, like we love old doors. <laughs> I'm. Yeah. I get. Um. I still get Fingon and Turgon mixed up, and I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry, guys. We're like two thirds of the way through the book. I'm sorry. <sighs> They're brothers. Fingon is the now the king of. Um, Nargothrond. And Turgon's the hidden king. In, uh, in Gondolin. In Gondolin. Gotcha. And Fingon's also one that rescued Maedros. That's why they're buds. They've been buds forever. Fingon and Maedros, right? He's the one that saved him when he was captured. Right. Um, so, so back to our ranking of the deaths of the Noldor kings. Um. This is up there. He he just fought Gothmog by himself. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And he gets his basically. It sounds like, I mean, he goes through his helm. It's cloven. Sounds like he basically got split. Yeah. But that was only because another Balrog him came up behind him. <laughs> yeah. So he was fighting Gothmog like one on one and doing a pretty good job. Right. <clears throat> But we have um we're, we're given another doesn't possible... have a whip, he has an axe, which is like savage. It's pretty sa- yeah. savage. We're given another um potential mm-hmm. Tolkien-based band name. Yeah. Thong of Fire. <laughs> yeah, Fire Thong. Yeah. <laughs> thong of Fire. Um, yeah. We could sing a I, lot I, of thongs. I do love though that like <laughs> like some of the it seems like often when like when Sauron fights somebody or like more like Fingolfin fought Morgoth himself, didn't he? With his mate when he brought out Grond, his mace. Hmm. And he wanted to just like defile his body, but he was saved by the eagle. The round door. Yeah. But this one, there was no saving him. Like they just beat his body into dust and um his banner they trod into the mire of his blood. Like he did not get which I kind of like that about him. I like that he 
he just like fought brutally to the end and uh there's nothing left to show of him he went out like a boss so which which i mean Aethelion, which which one is this because that's not the one that's referred to in um in in the lord of the rings it's not the one that boromir and the Echo. the index says <clears throat> elf lord of gondolin okay so it's a different one yeah i think so and then yeah yeah okay yeah 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 um, well, now that we're on the note of deaths, Hurin's capture. So he's he's fighting off. I love this 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 line, Are and Tuluva, um, day shall come again. Yeah, he says it seventy times as he's killing orcs. Day shall come again. Just that heroic hope, and then. It describes that the orcs are grappling him with their hands and he's hewing off their arms. Yeah. So he's just getting covered in all these orc right. arms that have been hewed off until he he is just um, buried beneath them. <laughs> it, it echoes that war cry from last time, still this chapter, I think. To, I think it's Turgon, page 190, um, who also cries something out in in um elvish but this time it means the day has come behold the day people has of, come the people then, of, oh, of the eldar and fathers of men the day has come which is and they answer the night the night is passing but then now it's like <laughs> the night is actually only beginning and but there's still that message of hope day shall come again well that's an interesting insight because because what Huron's crying is day shall come again, which means that the night has fallen. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like they were convinced that they could defeat Morgoth. And probably, I mean, they could, but they didn't calculate the, they didn't calculate treachery or how do they put it? The, uh, yeah, well, yeah, the treachery of men. Right. I have a question. What is it? When Huar spoke to um, Turgon and he says that we will part here forever, is he saying he'll never see him again? Um, this I say to you, Lord, with the eyes of death. Does that mean he's dying? Though we part here forever, ever. So is he just saying I'm 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 dying? Sorry, bye. So, what do the elves and men know about what comes after death in their mythology? Isn't there something about how <clears throat> there's like an unwritten theme that no one knows about? Well, we heard about this a little bit at the end of Baron and Luthien, where when Baron died, he went to the halls of Mondos, but he. But men apparently just pass through there into like whatever afterlife they have. Whereas the, the Eldar, it seems like they stay there and dwell in the halls of Mondos. Hmm. And so, but, but it was like Luthien playing with Mondos that like it, that persuaded him to keep 
bear in there longer and then eventually right. return him to life. So there's like the separation, like the men really die, die and they're gone into oblivion or something. Yeah, I think and, with the men, um, I, I might be misremembering this, but maybe you guys know. But with the men, it was not revealed to the Noldor what their ultimate fate would be. Like, there's more we know about the Noldor's fate. But with the men, it's something that Iluvatar hasn't revealed, right? Yeah, it's unknown. Because he says, I mean, look, this I say to you with the eyes of death, I'm dying. Though we part here forever, and I shall not look on your white walls again. From you and from me, a new star shall arise. Farewell. So it, it, he's talking about the temporal for sure, uh, but he's not sure. close. He's not saying we won't ever see each other again, but he's also not saying we will see each other again. It's like still a big question mark. Gotcha. I think he believes he will. He will never see, even in some kind of afterlife, he will never see Turgon again. <clears throat> I don't know. I think he because well that's what that's what Melian said too when she remember it said she would she cannot stand to look upon Luthien oh because because yeah, she, she knew chose, that death would always separate them yeah but it, it, it's still a te te temporal I don't think separation. so I think it's more permanent than that and doesn't know that Luthien is gonna because well, yeah why but... would Luthien why would Luthien well, she, she's mortal life, and she's going to be reunited. With They're him. not dying. Wait, say that again. Sorry, we were talking. The about elves aren't dying. Right. So, of course. What do you mean they're not dying? Where do where are the, where, where's Melian existing? She's existing in the west with the elves, right? Or no, not? Melian's in Doriath still, with Thingol. She's, it's not, to me, it seems like she's talking more about life and death. Like, and she's a Maya too, so she's yeah. like, she definitely doesn't die. And um, so wherever death takes men, yeah, she she will never go there. Yeah, yeah. But even elves, it seems, can't really go there. Yeah, but that's because they don't typically don't die, right? And but when I think they even do die, the ones that happens? do, doesn't it say like Feanor is in the halls of Mondos? That's not that's not an afterlife. That's a place. We know where that is. Yeah, yeah. And he's after he was slain. You know he. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't mean that they're obliterated. Yeah, don't cry. No, I'm just saying it doesn't mean that they're obliterated. Oh, I just heard a. I heard a. I heard crying. I oh, you're a little baby crying. that was like inside of you crying when yeah, you're <laughs> losing the <laughs> argument. <laughs> I'm not losing the argument. Like when you open your mouth, stands. you heard this little cry from deep inside. <laughs> like, My point is, is, is that it doesn't mean they're being obliterated. You know, like they're just. Oh yeah, not, they're not being yeah. annihilated. Yeah, but um, I I think my point is they just don't the uh, the what happens to men is a mystery. Yes, and it's yeah. something Iluvatar hasn't revealed to yeah. anyone. And we do know, though, that it does separate them from the elves and apparently the Maya too. Hmm. We yeah. do know, we do know that because of the sorrow. But then again, we don't know: is there an end of time in Arda? Um, and do all things get wrapped up, and then there becomes a new creation? We don't, we don't know that. We don't know if that's written into Tolkien at yeah. this point, anyway. Yeah, right, right, right. We don't know that. We don't know it all yet. Okay. Oh I wait, wait. I mention... think I found. I think I found something. I just went oh, to the chapter oh. of men, page 104, 
Um, okay. This is important to just read these few sentences. But men were more frail, more easily slain by weapon or mischance, and less easily healed, subject to sickness and many ills, and they grew old and died. What may befall their spirits after death, the elves know not. Some say that they, too, go to the halls of Mandos, but their place of waiting there is not that of the elves, and Mandos under Iluvatar alone, save Manwe, knows whither they go after the time of recollection in the silent halls beside the outer sea. Mm. That's, a, that's a really cool... I, I'm amazed that you found that, actually. How did you find that? <laughs> well, I, I just remember there's a chapter on men, and I yeah. assumed it would be towards the end of that chapter. And it's a short chapter, so... Um, maybe Monway guided me. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I recognize in the stories that we're reading, because again, these are like tales that they tell amongst each other, right? They're, they're these big epics that are passed down. And I feel like we hear this kind of like superlative language all the time. It was the greatest this, or it was yeah. the fiercest battle against that. And it's like they can't all be like the the best ever, right? But something that I'm kind of picking up, or maybe I'm reading into it, you tell me, is uh when the the real true moments of heroism are when things are really at the bleakest. So in this case, there was all this treachery from men and the the heroic deeds of Hurin and Hur and the men of Dorloman are counted among the greatest acts of any men. Because it was in this really deep despair, this moment mm -hmm. of despair where the what, what really was like the last hope of elves and men was Gondolin. They like held out long enough for them to escape. And so there, there's something I think that's true about that. Like it was, and it even says the treachery of Oldor was redressed because of this heroic deed. Like there's obviously mistrust between elves and men, but even this worked to heal that. So it says, uh, this is the towards the bottom of 194, the last stand of the men of Dorloman is most renowned. And I think even it's like, um, from the men's perspective, this was like mm. the story that they passed down. This was like the height of the heroics of men. Yeah, you're right. He does, he does seem to use those superlatives a lot, but I don't know how many if any of them would contradict like you're no, I don't, saying, I'm not like saying they would necessarily, is, right. It's this like, is in regard to some kind of qualifier. Cause but, I, who is the, the Vala that sings the sad oh songs? Oh boy. Oh, uh, Nienna. 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 Good job. There was something earlier about how she sang, you know, the most beautiful song. Um, when she lost, trees i believe oh when she's saying um i will follow you into the dark no no, no it was my heart oh. will go on oh um <laughs> and then but then when luthien sings it mentions like no sings before mondos it's like no other no song has been this beautiful but i wonder in context if it if they wouldn't contradict i'm not sure no i think you're right i think you're right it's just, to me, it seems like. <clears throat> it's like I want uh, Silmarillion to be inerrant. 
<laughs> it can't contradict itself. <laughs> it is, is perspicuous. What do you call it? Totally perspicuity. Yeah. Um. So so. I'm just saying. My point is. The the heroic acts are greater. Like even if the deeds are similar in quality, um, the contrast of like the darkness of despair, the worse the situation they find themselves in, the greater the heroism is portrayed. And um, things are pretty grim now. I mean, they've already been beaten badly in the previous battle. And like it even said, all of the sons of Fanor were injured in this battle and they just barely escaped. So it's, I mean, really, we're coming close to the end because um, Akalabeth is the other book. So we're on 194 of 255. So we're kind of getting there, and things are not getting good for the elves. Things are just getting continually worse for them. Right. Yeah, this is pretty. This is pretty bad. A bad point. A low point. Yeah. It does put perspective. I know we should probably wrap up in a second, but it gives perspective to um, the elves that we encounter in Lord of the Rings. They're in decline. Like their their civilization is like waning at this point. This is like the heights of their their power and their glory. And when we encounter like Elrond and Rivendell, that's just like a shadow of the glory that they had at this right. time. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, the the other thing I, I did like I like the um sort of little hat tip towards the future relationship between dwarves and dragons with the Norgrim fighting mm. um uh <clears throat> what's his face Glaurung I thought that was cool yeah that was a cool moment they just like pick him up and and do their funeral dirge and they yeah. don't even care that there's enemies still around them they just. <laughs> It's so dwarven. And that, um, as a reminder, the Glaurung has no wings. He crawls, which is interesting. Uh, Mm. Does he fly? Can he fly? No. Does he fly? No, I don't believe so. He jumps really high. Uh, He's called the worm. And I I think I read somewhere, I know someone will probably, someone will definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but (laughs) um, that he is like a, not a very evolved dragon. He was like a creation of Morgoth, but wasn't as advanced <clears throat> as future dragons mm. in that regard. Could be wrong, but I, I seem to remember that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's wrap up there. This is this is not a fun reading, but it was interesting for sure. And we'll see. Maybe they'll turn it around. Probably not. If you like what you hear, go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. Follow us everywhere at Before the Fellowship. Join the discussion on Discord and send any comments or questions to beforethefellowship at gmail.com. Join us next time as we read the greatest story you've never heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm.